Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? I feel like I need like a confetti cannon and a kazoo or something or whatever those things are, the little party favors things, party horn. Like the, you're talking about like the cracker, like the Christmas crackers or you're just talking about a party horn? The things you, yeah, the party horns that, and they, they shoot out, you know. Uh Uh-huh. When, why? No. Why is that? Because this this is the big year ender, Amy. Oh yeah. The last episode. Yeah. Yes. We'll play Auld Lang Syne at the end. Do we really? I mean, you're the one that edits. I don't. So no, not do really. we really play that? Okay. No, because I'm afraid I'll get in trouble with some copyright law or something. Yeah, you you might. And we do not want to do that. that no, we don't that want would that. Be the don't worst, want those cards and letters. That would be the worst ending to a podcast ever. Yes. They got almost to 250 episodes. And then <laughs> and then he used a then song ASCAP that called. he did without, without permission. Uh, they're right so, down the street. I mean, they just all they got to do is just hop in an Uber and they're, they're at yeah. the door. You know, yeah, we don't well, need those. Yes, it it is the the year ending episode that we've made it to the end of 2019, 2020. Here we come. That's amazing to me. This year has seemed to fly by. I don't know why, but it has just absolutely flown by. A lot of changes. A lot of change. I think a lot change of change makes things go faster. It does. Okay. It well, very much we'll, does. We'll just go with that, not old age. Yeah, so, that works. I'll, I'll, we'll go with change. All right, that works. let's give a quick rundown of where we're going with today's episode. We have three sections, uh, well, four really, but three main sections, and we have a bonus thing at the end. But uh, we're going to talk about our questions that we had at the beginning of the year in January. We always do 10 questions for the new year, which we will do next week for next year. Uh, that'll be on next week's episode, January the 3rd. That will drop, so you'll be able to catch that on the 3rd of January. Uh, that'll be for 2020. Gosh, it's crazy to think that we're already in 2020. Anyway, so we have our questions from January of 2019 to answer. Then we have the 10 biggest stories of 2019. We'll use the Baptist Press recap for that. Uh, They had a top 10 stories of the year. Tobin Perry worked on that for us over at Baptist Press. Put that up just the other day, so we'll cover those 10 stories. We're going to have a lot of overlap there, I'm guaranteeing you. And then probably Probably. a little bit of overlap with the third section, which is the Barbara Walters special uh, part of the show here with Amy's 10 most fascinating Southern Baptist of 2019. She'll get to define what fascinating means. I'm already protesting number four, Amy. The protest has been launched. I think that Southern Baptist is very fascinating, but I understand there's probably a bias in my home for that one. Just a bit. Just yeah. a bit. We'll, 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 we'll wait till we get there. All right. And then resource of the year. Shouldn't be a surprise what that's going to be, but we'll see. So let's jump into it, Amy. Our three sections. The first section are questions from January 2019. I looked at those today for the first time since January. I haven't. Right. We don't look at them throughout the year. We write them in January. We answer them at the end of December. And hopefully something's happened between January and December to give us something to talk about. Otherwise, we can just move on to the next one. I think I see right, a couple. But I usually forget. We'll I don't. Yeah, I don't remember Same what thing. they are, so it's kind of Same fun thing. to look back. Yeah, because so. it's funny to see what we think is going to be important in January when we write these, and then we right. come to December, and go, well, we never even touched on that in 2019. What are we? Th- what were we thinking? Right. So there right. are a couple of those in here, maybe. Yeah. All right. So let's jump in there, Amy. Ladies first. You'll get to answer first. Number one, who will be selected to lead our entities in 2019? I gave you a softball there. You you did. That's a pretty easy answer. Um, but this was one that kind of got me when I first read it just reflecting on all the changes from the year. So I would say a couple of these answers 
were surprises. Yeah, I would I would say so. Did certainly in January did not see some of no. these coming. One. If really I told hitting- you those four names in January, you would have been like, "No, you're crazy." Yeah, one hitting very close to home. So going into 2019, we already had one. Paul Chitwood had been named at the IMB in November, but we still had four left that were open. Southwestern Seminary, New Orleans Seminary, uh, the Executive Committee, and Lifeway. And so the answer to the question is, as everyone knows, would be uh, Adam Greenway at Southwestern Seminary, Jamie Dew at New Orleans Seminary, Dr. Ronnie Floyd at the Executive Committee, and Ben Mandrell at Lifeway Christian Resources. I would say the two of those that I probably did not expect, especially back in January, Ben Mandrell at the time, church planter, pastor out in Colorado, just had assumed that was would continue probably in January. He may have had that I same think he assumption. Had the same answer, he didn't yeah. <laughs> see it coming at all either. But I would certainly say, if you had told me in uh, in January, Jamie Dew to New Orleans, just on a personal note, I would have been not blown away like I didn't think it was possible because I think he is an incredible choice. But just no, there's no way this is going to happen. So uh, it was interesting looking at this list because two of those in particular led to pretty significant changes in my life because some of our closest friends moved. That's just big relationally. But then we uh, moved into their house and uh then I am in a different job. So I'm living in a different house and have a different job than I did than I did a year ago. Did not expect those because of two of those entity. Yeah, heads. we're recording you're recording this podcast in a different place because of the answer to number one. Right. Because Jamie Dew is the president of Unless New you just Seminary. like hanging out at the Dew's house recording podcasts there. I mean, from time I could have come over I mean, here. Yeah, I could I could have it's a lovely place. Any, Anyway, uh, just it. So reading that question, even though it's an easy answer, I was struck by, wow, the answer to this question is not at all what I expected in January. And my life is really different because of it. So Same. Uh, people are, are affected and you're in a different job um, as well because because of this. So same house, though. Yes. Same house. Did not move. Yeah. So did not move. Yeah. Thank you. But <laughs> yeah, but there, but thanks for giving me the easy one. That was a pretty simple answer to the question. And I think we knew rightly that that would be a very big story going throughout the year uh, would, would be what our entities yeah. look like. That's a huge, you know, when you, when you put Paul Chitwood in there, that's five out of the great commission council. I mean, the great commission council in September looked very different than it had the year before. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so a lot, lot of change. All right. So number two, I'll throw to you, how will continuing healthcare changes and new product offerings affect Guidestone? I'm not really sure. I, I know. Mean, I don't really can I know just the answer say, to I don't this. know. Uh, I th- I think Guidestone they're they're in a good place. I mean I think yeah. we're also seeing healthcare is a ever changing area. I think there's always going to yes. be challenges with that, and I think they're doing the best they can to yeah. stay ahead of that. What that looks like on a granular level, I think, depends on your position right. and what you're using Guidestone for. Right, and I think this is one of those things that we always kind of live in the greater setting with concerns about healthcare uh, laws and rising costs and things like that. We're always concerned about how that's going to affect us. And, you know, I kind of begin every year thinking, are there going to be any dramatic shifts just in greater culture on this? And so this did not end up being as big of a thing 
as we thought it might or wondered if it might. But like you said, they're kind of navigating it. And we hope to be having some folks from Godstone on yeah. in 2020 to maybe talk through a few of these little things uh, just to, to help listeners, you know, about particular mm-hmm. questions they may yeah. have. But we'll be doing a lot more interviews in 2020. So that'll be good. Yes. All right. Number three, Amy, for you, who will be nominated for SBC officers in Birmingham? This was interesting. We did not know where this was going to go, but we had a no surprise. J.D. Greer was nominated for re-election and was unopposed. For first vice president, Marshall Osbury was nominated and he was unopposed. And Noe Garcia from Phoenix ran for second vice president. He was nominated and he was unopposed. Really odd. So basically, like, who was nominated for officers? Nobody, but the people that right. won. I mean, it, that was really strange. Typically, what we have are that the three top spots, at least, usually at least two of those uh, end contested. up maybe. Yeah. yeah, are contested. And so you have to pull out the ballot. But the recording secretary and registration secretary are not as often, you know, opposed, but this time they were. So that's where our elections were. So we had John Yates nominated again for recording secretary, but then Eddie Eaton from North Carolina was also nominated for recording secretary. And so we had, we pulled out the ballot on that for the first time in a lot of years. Uh, John Yates was reelected as recording secretary and then registration secretary Don Currents nominated for re-election, but Kathy Litton was nominated for election. And that was a very close election yeah. uh, with Kathy Litton winning that spot. Just a few dozen spot. votes, wasn't it? Yeah, by I mean, just a, it a very, really it was a very t- small margin. Um, but that, that was really interesting. I didn't anticipate that. I kind of anticipated it just being, uh, you know, that, that there would be ballots at sort of the, the top of the ticket. And so that was a surprise answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We might have run out of ballots had we had multiple people running for the second and first vice presidents with well, runoffs and things like that. Oh, uh, well, I guess so. They, I don't know. I trust Allison. Allison makes sure that there are ballots in there. I think well, Allison I, I would have had us covered. I don't not trust Allison. I'm just saying like if Maybe. we had a runoff and an election for four different elections. You're just saying if we, we that's had eight ballots right there in all these. And then. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot of ballots. If you had runoffs and elections in four different elections or five, that's 10 ballots right there. And then, you know, we may have double runoffs like we did, you know, we don't want to bring that up again. But, you know, a few years ago, Amy, we, we had two runoffs for the same position. People learn how to do right, the ballots. Don't, right. be, that was don't a, be like Amy did with her first time. First time out, ballot disallowed. So don't make mistakes. But anyway, that that was an interesting one. Would not <laughs> yes. have heard would not have expected the answer to that question. All right, number 4. How will the revamped schedule be received at the SBC annual meeting? I think it was received well. We we had some different things, different elements to the schedule. Didn't have yes. the Tuesday night session. And right. I, as far as the schedule part of the annual meeting, never really heard any complaints about that. Uh everybody at the annual meeting this year was just talking about the facility. And yeah. getting around, you know, it was that, hard that to kind get of around. thing. So yes. just difficult facility to get around. But other than that, I mean, it, the the schedule was well received, and I believe we're looking at no night sessions again this coming year. So okay. in Orlando. So yeah, I mean, it, I, I was pleased, and I I think uh, the the messengers were as well. Uh, I do think people liked having their the evening free. I'm trying to remember what I did on that Tuesday evening. That whole week's a blur, especially six months after. 
Oh, it's quite that schedule is quite a jigsaw puzzle because you oh, have man. to have certain elements and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see what the new one is. And uh, I'm sure people will enjoy having their evenings free, especially in Orlando. Yeah. All right. So, so number five. All right. Number five. What changes will Paul Chitwood bring to the IMB? This has been an interesting year at the IMB. A couple of things that I would say we have seen. One, far as staff changes, you know, Todd Lafferty coming on staff. New announcements. Uh, I think we just saw a, a new one this this week. Yeah, Did we Bill see Langley. Was it this week? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bill Langley. So we've seen some staff changes. We've also seen, I would say, a shift. Uh, while the um, Limitless Pathways is not gone, there are still multiple pathways. I think we have seen a move back toward kind of fully funded missionaries, especially with the announcement that there is more funding than there are people. And so some goals that have been articulated to get 500 more missionaries on the field in the next six years. Uh, We've also seen a lot of, uh, I've seen on social media, and then of course we just had a story in Baptist Press that I got the the chance to cover with uh, Dr. Chitwood visiting churches around the country. He was here in Raleigh visiting with five churches the other day, and then also has visited a number of other churches in the last year um, to just connect with with people on the ground who are um, fueling the mission and also has done, he's done a lot of traveling around the world, which is not really uh, different. I mean, yeah, David normal. Platt did that. Tom Elif did that. A lot of others. But I think the changes that we're seeing ha- have been maybe in just new staff and then maybe a, a refocusing back on getting, you know, the, the pipeline for full-time missionaries on the field. Yeah. And then also kind of a resurgence of focus on the journeyman program with the go to initiative. Mm-hmm. That has has really gotten going, and then there's no differences in that program. I just think maybe in new a new uh, fresh branding, you know, mm-hmm. of it and excitement. Well, and I was thinking about this today. I saw a tweet about a someone whose daughter was going on a gap year, and they were going to do a mission thing with another organization. And I'm thinking, well, with a rise in the popularity of these gap years, yeah, that, that people are seem to be having, we we have the opportunity maybe to to capitalize on that from that high right. school senior to high to college freshman. You know, we talk a lot about go to on the backside, but I think there's an opportunity maybe on that front side with that gap year, maybe a gap year program. So I, it'd be interesting yeah. to see if we see any shifts in that. So, uh, yeah. I, and I would say, and kind of to echo your point, I think there's been a, a greater intentionality to connect with associations and small churches from the IMB, uh, than yeah. there possibly has in the past. So that's something Dr. Chitwood has brought to, the International Mission Board, and we wish him all the best in that. Number six, Amy. Number six, how will Southern Baptists respond to the changing political landscape in the U.S.? I'm glad you got this question and not me. I'm going to let you just take it away. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little crazy right now. I think the appropriate answer, Amy, would be not well. We seem to be more divided uh, in, in the Southern Baptist because of politics. So I think there's still some work for us to do there. I think there's a lot of work for us to do there. And as we go into 2020, I'm not very hopeful for that. We're going to see what happens. And I'm sure that'll be something we talk about next week because 2020, the the presidential election and the political atmosphere surrounding that, I think will be one of the big stories of the year, uh, not only in the Southern Baptist Convention, but just in the United States in general. So I I do think that's something that, that I think we really need to be in prayer about. I think that's something that we need to be careful about with our words, with our uh, social media. And it's something that 
I think has the potential to distract us from our mission. So I also think that to, to combat that, we really need to focus on our mission more. And it's not politics. It's what we just talked about with the International Mission Board and what we're talking about with GoTo and these different things that we're, we're doing in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about who's right. the one here in a minute. Uh, but, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things that are going on in the SBC that need our focus and not the political landscape of the United States. Right. And I, I think it's fair for us to, to recognize and respect that everyone has to live out as a citizen. Um, they vote, they do different things, and we have to, to give each other uh, space to learn about issues, to educate ourselves. Some things are, are very simple and straightforward. I mean, I think we're all pretty unified. We encounter some of the things that have been in the debate on the democratic side of the field, oh, yeah, things absolutely. that just horrify us and are, are so upsetting. And so certainly we feel a lot of unity on some of those issues as we hear those things and struggle with them. But there are a lot of other issues that, that people will really wrestle with. So we have to give each other space to wrestle and then to remember not knowing the outcome of this next year. Not knowing, you know, if we go into 2021, regardless of who is the president of the United States, regardless of who has the majority in the House or the Senate, regardless, what are the things that we know we are still about? You just named a lot of them. We're going to focus on going to the ends of the earth no matter what. We're going to focus on planting churches no matter what. Uh, the landscape may be a little bit different depending on on things that happen, but what are the things that we're doing no matter what happens? And I think those are the things can you know that that can really work together on and can can get behind. So absolutely, I think this is not an easy time, and I think twenty twenty. Well, we'll get to that in our next episode. Yes, all right. Next week. So let's go to number seven. How will the conversation regarding abuse and assault? continue to play out in 2019, what will the Sexual Abuse Advisory Group recommend for churches at the annual meeting? Well, story of the year, Andy. You know, yeah, it's interesting to read this now, thinking about us writing it in January 2019. And and we were writing that knowing that the Sexual Abuse Advisory Group had been established out of the executive committee meeting in the fall. So we knew that this was was already in in place. President Greer had said had said in the summer he was going to going to name this. There had been a motion on the floor about it. So we we knew that that this was a conversation that we were already going to be having on the heels of some tough of several tough stories in 2018. But in January when we wrote this, obviously there was a lot to come with the, the the stories that came out in the media beginning in February with the Houston Chronicle, but continuing in some other uh, news outlets as well. And so I don't even know how to answer this question. How will the conversation regarding abuse and assault continue to play out in 2019? Because well, I, I think, think the conversation grew. What, the con- Yeah, the conversation grew. And I think as it played out, it's one of the most difficult things I have ever personally experienced in terms of, you know, being a part of, of something because it's what's so hard is that this is one of the toughest issues I've ever encountered, but yet it is so necessary that when faced with it, that you have to deal with it. So you can't, you can't say that's too tough. I'm out. You have to, you have to walk straight into the issue and encounter it. And the reality is this is not something 
that we just kind of fix and move on. We have to face this and we have to recognize, as we talked about several times, that the more that we talk about what churches need to do, that when they encounter an incident in their church, that they need to report it, that they need to to let their people know in the right way, that they need to, to be transparent and, and honest about it, that as we encourage one another in that, then we're going to see more stories that are really tough. You know, so... As you said, I think it grew in our awareness and then the pain and difficulty of it grew and more people had to sort of face the reality of it. Uh, as far as what the sexual abuse advisory group recommended. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, it was, it was a, a, a lot of things, but, you know, the big focus from the advisory group was for churches to get serious about putting things in place for protection, about having processes for when uh, someone discloses an abuse incident, about how to care for survivors of abuse, things like that. So that's really, in the end, was the focus of the advisory group to say, how do we start resourcing churches and saying that each individual church can be a part, you know, can can join in and, and be a part of a culture change. Um, yeah. We also had responses from from other groups and entities sort of saying, here's what we're going to do. But I would, that, that would be the, the answer. And, and like you said, we'll get to that later. But yeah, we'll talk about a little bit of that later. Of, of all 10 of these questions, you know, the two that really got me were the first one, just how that made changes personally in my life. But this question just kind of was like a gut punch to read it and say, we were right to ask that question because this was going to be, uh, this was going to be a tough year. Mm-hmm. All right. Number eight, Amy. Will we see an increase in diversity across all levels of convention life? This is a tough one to answer because we, we did see some increases, but not at all levels. The The levels that we're still really lacking on are those first chair roles, uh, entity right. heads, state convention execs, those kind of things. But if you look at the picture of the national officers, only two white men among the five, when in 2016, if you look at that picture, all five white men. So- there has been an increase in diversity. We saw an increase in diversity in the appointments Dr. Greer made uh, for the Committee on Committees. We saw a more diverse Committee on Nominations as a result. So we we have increased diversity in the nomination process and in, in the trustee boards at each of the entities. There is an increased diversity. We talked about it when we did all the state convention recaps. We had several first-time African-American state convention presidents this year. Right. Um, so, you know, that's that's something that we're seeing. We're getting there. It's not right. an overnight fix, but we are making progress, I do think. I, I think if you look at it right now, you cannot look at it and think that we have not made progress among diversity. We right. still need though those first chair roles. One reason that we continue to have this conversation uh, is because we have we have had, you know, reports and things that have been made throughout the years, in 2011, in 2015, the executive committee in both of those years did a lot of work to kind of take stock of this and see if there was diversity at multiple levels and reported on those things there in the the SBC annuals from those years. And then they each said, we need to keep revisiting this. We need to keep 
looking at this and and kind of seeing how where how we are on this. That's one reason that the percentages are typically given because they asked that SBC presidents or committees share that information because it's good for us to have. So those executive committees from the past uh, in within the past ten years have asked for that, and so that's one reason that's a, a question that that continues uh, because it's a value that was stated out. Yeah. In those in those earlier studies and times, yeah, and we're seeing it lived out. Dr. Floyd, whenever he was SPC president, had made to that point had nominated the most diverse slate of committee members that we'd seen, and now with him at the executive committee, living it out even more with the addition of Willie McLaurin, Peter Yanis, Julio Adiola, and a yet to be named uh, executive director of African American Church Relations and Mobilization as well as you coming on as a women's liaison at the EEC. So we've seen a growing diversity at the EEC that Dr. Floyd's implemented whenever he came to the executive committee. And I think once that takes hold in 2020 and beyond, we'll start seeing more and more and more. It's just you know, being intentional about those hires, about those placements, and about setting up the staff in a way that it increases diversity and increases representation. So it's I'm encouraged we still have a long ways to go, but we're on the right path. Yes. All right. Number nine, will we break $200 million in national CP receipts this budget year? So close, but no. It was, oh. uh, yeah, $196,731,703.44. And to, to be clear, that was gifts received by the executive committee for distribution through the CP allocation budget. So... When we talk about C total, you know, CP, that actually includes every level. But yeah, it's like we 483 hoping, million or something like that. Right, right. But we were hoping to break two, 200 million in national receipts. And we, we almost got there. We, yes. we had projected 194 million. So it did exceed the, the projection, but not quite 200 million. So yeah. we, we shoot for that next year. On a positive note, we did have a new Annie Armstrong record. And our third highest Lottie Moon giving, as well in that in that calendar in that fiscal year, and then we're off to the best start through two months that we've had in a decade. So yes. in CP giving, so things are things are good on the 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 financial side of the Southern Baptist Convention right now. Yeah, very good. All right, and finally, Amy, number ten. Will any other entities or groups in the SBC commission reports on their history of racism and slavery? And so this was referring to the report that Southern Seminary had done. And then how will Southern Seminary respond to its own report? There hasn't been a lot of discussion about this. Right. There, there really hasn't. And so at the time that we were asking this question, it, that was kind of fresh. Where yeah, it, that it report had, had just released. come out at the end of 2018. Yeah. And we were wondering about that and really didn't see a lot of that. There may be some stuff like we're not on the ground at Southern, obviously. Right. So we don't right. know if it's something that is discussed on, on a more, you know, high profile basis at Southern Seminary. It may be. We just don't know because we're not there. But as far as a broader discussion in the SPC, there really has not been much uh, about that or yeah. other entities as well. All right. All right. That's our 10 questions. There's our answers to the 10 questions. All right. So now let's run through really quick what the 10 biggest stories of 2019 were. And we did a story on this at Baptist Press. So we'll yes. we'll link to that. Yeah, we'll link to that. You can read it. A lot of yeah. this is duplicating what we talked about. There's a couple that haven't been touched on yet in the episode. We'll park on those just quickly uh, when we get to them. But number one, Southern Baptists take action to curb sexual abuse in the convention. We've mentioned that. 
Uh, we mentioned the Caring Well Challenge and curriculum. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Number two, four new entity presidents elected to lead those entities. Uh, that's something, uh, obviously, we talked about number one in the first one there. Lifeway closes brick-and-mortar stores in historic shift to new online strategy. We have not touched on that yet. We we have not, and that would have been a good question to have at the beginning of the year. Although, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year, asking that question would have been tough. Well, yeah, I didn't think that was even a possibility. Right, right. And I was so. sitting close to it. So that, right. that shows how much. Right. And, and also, I would say that had it not been for sexual abuse, uh, the stuff we saw with that around the convention, this would have been the number one story of the year. Easily. Right. Sure. Hands down. Yeah. Not even For Lifeway to close stores. Yes. But that just shows you how big some of the stories were this mm-hmm. year. Um, that I think Lifeway closing its brick and mortar operation uh, hit yeah. a lot of Southern Baptists, you know, at the, at the, at the pew level. So, mm-hmm. all right. Number four, Great Commission giving surges throughout the convention. That's the Annie Armstrong yeah. just and about Lottie that. Moon. Yep. SBC votes overwhelmingly to approve significant bylaw and constitutional changes. So that would be linked uh, with some of the conversations about abuse, although they they uh, do affect more than just that. Yes. I think it was just sparked by a lot of that conversation. But a significant bylaw change with the development of the Credentials Committee as a standing committee. We had a, a Credentials Committee that uh, functioned very differently and now as the registration committee, but establishing that new standing committee. And then the first step for a constitutional change to Article 3 that just maybe gets more specific about some things that would be standards of cooperation. So specifically focusing on racism and, and mishandling of abuse. So Yes. Number six, a flurry of pro-abortion and pro-life laws come before state legislatures nationwide after Supreme Court shifts. So we had uh, two new Supreme Court justices appointed by President Trump, Justice Kavanaugh this past year and Justice Gorsuch before him. And so with the new kind of makeup of the Supreme Court, we've we've had some different shifts and we've had a lot of different pro-life laws that have gone into effect in states like Louisiana, Mississippi. And we've also had some pro-abortion laws like in Virginia and New York, the New York one especially. Uh, there's a lot of right. discussion around those things, and we've got a, uh, a also another post that we'll put a link in there to religious liberty kind of recap of the year, talking about a lot of this. So a lot of different legislatures doing things in, in different ways, and we're seeing some trends, especially in southern states, uh, for more pro-life laws and, and more protections for babies in the womb. Number yes. seven, Amy, was a big one I, we didn't see coming, especially no. the timing. I think the timing of this one is the big one. Uh, announced yes. in October, but Al Mohler was announced as the 2020 presidential nominee. Yeah, I didn't even think to ask that question because usually we don't see a nomination uh, before the spring. And so we would have been looking at 2020 saying, okay, who's going to be nominated for president? But we're already, I mean, we're we're already out of the gates on that one. So yeah. that was no, it's a- Who else will be nominated for president? Right, right. So that was a big one uh, for sure. And so it'll be interesting to see in the coming months uh, how that conversation develops. Number eight, NAM launches Who's Your One Emphasis. So that was a great, a really great story. Just taking the focus that uh, the SBC president had on Who's Your One and then saying, we're going to actually, you know, kick this into gear and let it be ongoing even after this presidency. 
Number nine, President Greer, we talked about this earlier, appointed the most diverse committees in SBC history. That was something that, that he said from the outset that was important to him and a hallmark of his presidency. And we saw that in 2019. And I, I, Amy, I would expect to see the same in 2020. Uh, another very diverse committee appointment uh, slate from Dr. Greer. And then finally, Southwestern Seminary removes stained glass windows commemorating the conservative resurgence. Yeah, that got a lot of talk when that happened for sure yes. that was one of the one of the first things when Adam Greenway became president of Southwestern you know a, a lot of people at least i heard kind of asking questions about that and so uh, then when that happened it you know it was it was pretty low key you just saw some pictures online of of uh the new windows but then once those pictures came out then the news you know really began to yeah. spread they so didn't that make was, a big deal out of it at Southwestern no. but but people around but the once convention it got out, kind of did. Right. Yeah. right. Once it got out. All so. right. Well, anything you would add to that biggest stories of 2019? Oh, my goodness. No, I can't think of, of anything that... I think it was a pretty comprehensive list. When I was yeah. going through the, the list to things. give to the yes. writer, I, I, I felt like that really covered the basis of 2019. Yep. It did. So, it did. All right. And that leads us to the Barbara Walters segment here. Does that make me Hugh Downs? Maybe. A little Maybe. 2020... Okay. Trivia, 2020 action you know. in yeah. 2019. Ayo. All right. Uh, 10 most fascinating Southern Baptist of 2019. I'll read out the names. You tell me why they're fascinating. But first, okay. you need to explain what you mean whenever you say fascinating Southern Baptists. Okay. So the, I took this off of the Barbara Walters special that used to be every year that I loved. It was the 10 most fascinating people of this year. And it wasn't necessarily taken from you know, major news stories. It wasn't saying person of the year. It was just Barbara Walters selecting people that were fascinating. And I have followed her rules and and her sort of format a lot that she would pick people from different corners of culture. So she'd have, you know, entertainers, she'd have athletes, she would have, you know, maybe politicians, you know, whatever. So I have chosen people that might sort of stand out or folks might say, oh, yeah, I know that person. And then I've chosen some people that you maybe have never heard of, or you didn't even know were Southern Baptists because they're just serving in their local church. Or like to boo. Yeah, uh, you know, something like that. And so this was this is an opportunity for me to say these are people that not that I am ranking or saying is the best. I'm just saying I think they're fascinating people. Um, and the one rule that Barbara Walters always had was that they had to be living. So it, it that that was mm. one thing. And then one thing I do differently is she would rank them and she would go like you know, start with 10 and go down um, and have the number one most fascinating person. I don't do that. Mine's not in any particular order. And it's just, it's just 10 fascinating people. So. Okay. All right. So with all that said, the, the first person that we'll cover here, Bryant Wright. So I decided uh, to, to pick Bryant Wright as a fascinating Southern Baptist in particular, because this was a year of his retirement. And so a lot of the stories uh, around that, just really caught my eye. Bryant Wright's no stranger to most listeners, I'm sure. He's a former SBC president, pastor of Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia. And so he certainly has had an impact on the Southern Baptist Convention. But he retired this year. He and his wife were there at Johnson Ferry for 38 years of service. And what I just thought was really cool was 
the fact that essentially, you know, when a pastor retires, church wants to honor them in some way, or they come together and, and give them, give a, the couple a gift. And what they really wanted was for the church to do what they care about the most, which is missions. And so the thing that was done in their honor was this $5.1 million in a single day brought forward. And this is not like pledges. This is like actual offering. $5,104,848.09 that came um, on November 3rd at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church, and it was split among the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, and the church, some ministries of the churches. So it was local, national, and international missions um, in honor of Bryant Wright. And and so I, I say uh, him specifically, in honor of Bryant Wright and Anne, I want to mention her as well, his wife, but I say Bryant Wright specifically because I think um, what a testimony to uh, his heart and his focus and I just, I just think that's neat. I think that kind of tells it all. So when I was thinking about, you know, pastors that were out there, Bryant Wright just jumped out at me because of that. And uh, what, what a way to, to retire. That's the first one on this list in no particular order. All right. The second one you have here is our first vice president, Marshall Alsberry. Yeah. Um, so Marshall Osbury is, is someone that, you know, it could be that before he was elected first vice president, a lot of people might not have been familiar with him, but he was nominated this year. He's the senior pastor of Antioch Baptist Church in Fairfax Station, Virginia. He's also the current president of the National African American Fellowship of the Southern Baptist Convention. And, I had not really dealt with him, you know, before now, but you and I have, uh, you know, I think we've interacted with him over email a little bit and just, I just really appreciate what I have seen of, of his heart. And I'm kind of excited about seeing his service this year and his service at the SBC, because I think what I see in Marshall Osbury is someone that I didn't really know very well as far as a person involved in convention life, but someone I would like to get to know as a person involved in convention life. Like I want to know more about his ministry and uh, what all his, his church is doing. He seems to be very, very respected. A.B. Vines, who is the, the previous first vice president said in the nomination release that he's a man of integrity and an exceptional leader that he would continue to bring unity and clear focus to our convention by helping us keep the main thing, the main thing, which is to glorify our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. And it looks like their, their church just does a, a lot of great things that on the ACP, they were, you know, they have about a thousand, they had about an average about a thousand in worship in 2018 that, that they do a lot of, you know, giving to missions, things like that. It just sounds, it sounds like he just does a, a great job. And so I'm excited about his involvement at that level as first vice president. Absolutely. Number three is a name that I don't know, Amy. So tell us who right. Linda J. White is. Linda White. Now, I'm going to have to tell you, this is actually someone I am learning more about. So the first time I heard about her was um, when uh, some some folks I know were reading some books for their book club, and they talked about this writer, Linda White, Linda J. White. She writes FBI thrillers. They, they're FBI Ooh. thrillers with a twist of faith. And so... Sounds like, I mean, a little bit scary. And I want to say that I read maybe her 
she's got a connection with with the FBI, maybe her her husband or relative, someone. And so she got access to be able to research and, and learn more about their work. And so she started writing these fiction books. I I'm about to order my first Linda White book because I've not read them yet, but I want to because I've heard great things about it. But what surprised me was when we launched the Women's Leadership Network earlier this year and we had all these people joining the Facebook group, uh, up pops Linda White. And I had no idea that uh, she actually, in introducing herself to the Women's Leadership Network, she said, I've taught adult Bible studies for 30 years at my local SBC church. I've also mentored a small group of women for over 10 years and speak in the community. I'm called to write and have had a column in my local newspaper for 18 years. I've written a little for Lifeway and have six novels, FBI thrillers with a t- with a twist of faith. And so I was like, this is that author I've heard so much about. And here she is. She's been teaching Bible studies for 30 years at her SBC church. You know, so this is just an SBC uh, local church member, faithful writing for Lifeway or, you know, other people, but then uh, contributing in this way too. So um, in this, we'll throw uh, a link to her website so you can see a little bit about her books and stuff. But I thought that was fascinating because I think we forget. I mean, we've got all these churches out there. There are people in the pews everywhere that do really cool and fascinating things. And so I wanted to throw in someone that you might not have heard of before. That's really neat. I had no idea. Yeah. All so right. Number five. No, 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 no. You skipped number four. I did. No, I. I uh, you did tra- no, skip right. number four. All right. Number four, Trevor Lawrence. So Trevor Lawrence is someone that probably a lot of people have heard of. If they're following college football, um, he's the quarterback for Clemson University, who's headed into the playoffs this weekend. But a lot of people may not know his family is uh, part of Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. And then I believe there in Clemson, he may be a part of New Spring. Um, I'm not sure, but he is a, a Southern Baptist. And so I like to bring in, you know, someone that's an, an athlete. And I recognize that in the years that we've done this and I've brought athletes in, I know one year I had Dabo Sweeney on there and now I'm coming back with Trevor Lawrence. So I know it's a little biased toward Clemson because my family, uh, in particular, Keith and Mary, are rabid Clemson fans. Maybe I should start looking for some other people, but you know what? It's my list. So I'm throwing Trevor Lawrence on there. So those of you who are following the playoffs and you see that, just know that the Clemson quarterback is a Southern Baptist. And I think that's fascinating. Okay. Okay. Are you done now? I'm done. I'm back. All right. I, I took a break while you discussed that one. You just right, couldn't five. listen to it, could you? Nope, could not. <laughs> number five, Ben Mandrell. Yes. Okay. Decided to do Ben Mandrell. We couldn't do all of the new entity heads because that would be like half the list. So in order to keep <laughs> the diversifying, yeah. So I I put Ben Mandrell in there because he was the last one that was named. Maybe the one that was... Uh, an out, a bit of an outlier had not been involved, you know, in, in entity life or at kind of the high national level. So a lot of people not as familiar with him, but are becoming uh, familiar. And so now as he sort of has spent his first Christmas there in Nashville, I hope he has, has, uh, he and his family have enjoyed it. I think his sort of entry to Lifeway and some of the new things that um, are coming there, they're definitely things to watch and and to see how that develops. And so 
that's why we we you and I actually talked about this about this one. How do we handle sort of the new entity heads? And decided that uh, we would put Ben Mandrell in there because he's sort of the most unknown that people are yeah. getting to know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was the most off the radar hire of of the four. Right. Right. So, so that was what was fascinating yeah, mm-hmm. about this. Yeah. All right. Number six, Kathy Litton. Good friend of the pod here. Kathy Litton. Yes. So Kathy Litton's on here because of, of some of the, the things this year that, that she has done in particular, being elected registration secretary. But Kathy Litton has been involved in the Southern Baptist Convention at multiple levels for a very long time. Pastor's wife in Colorado for many years. Uh, she was married to Rick Ferguson. And then she uh, lost her husband some years ago and then married Ed Litton, who who had lost his wife several years back. And uh, so she's a pastor's wife in Alabama now there with uh, serving with her husband, but then also served at cross church for a time, you know, when she was kind of in between Colorado and Alabama and now serves at the North American mission board as the director of planter spouse care. And she has just been a tireless servant to the local church, to church planting, to the Southern Baptist Convention, and to women. She has mentored so many women, including me. And uh, I, I just, I think she is a real gift. And so I wanted to put her on this list, though, because some of the milestones that came this year with the Women's Leadership Network and with her election and, and things like that, that just kind of elevated it to the level to say she's pretty fascinating. Number seven is a name that not many people will know, but they may have seen some videos of him. It's Daniel Ritchie. Yes. So Daniel Ritchie is uh, someone who he has a, a, a real ministry here in the North Carolina area, and he is a graduate of the college at Southeastern. So um, Daniel was born without arms. And so that's really part of his ministries. The in the about section of his website, his testimony, he says, I was born without arms and spent the majority of my life being told that I was, um, that I was a hopeless mistake and woefully insufficient to lead a full life. Yet at the age of 15, God used a preacher to tell me of God's love for me and that I was fearfully and wonderfully made and I accepted Christ as my Lord. Um, and then after he was saved, he submitted to a call to ministry. So he, has uh, served in camp ministry, student pastor, conference speaker, preaches, you know, uh, all of these things. And so he does a lot here in the North Carolina area, but he he travels all over the place. He came and he spoke at uh, Southeastern's alumni luncheon at the SBC this year. And then he also uh, spoke in chapel this year, this fall as well. And it was just phenomenal. Um, but sometimes I'll see videos that go out uh, on Twitter. He puts these incredible videos of all the things that he does, uh, but he does with his feet, like things he that we do with our hands. He changed a tire, Amy. It's, okay, he changed, he changed a, tire. a tire. You should put, because that's fascinating in itself, um, the, where he changed the tire with his feet. So that video needs to go in the show notes uh, for Blew sure. Blew my mind. But, right. It's, but it, you know, and he always puts it out like, basically, anytime you say you can't do anything, you know, here you go. And so then I just sit there and think, well, I can't change a tire at all. So uh, anyway. I didn't but, say it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I think Daniel and then his ministry seems to just really be sort of taking off as far as some of the places that I have run into him over the last year. And so I'm excited to see what's going to come uh, of that. Seriously, folks, you need to see the video of him changing the tire. 
it blow well, your mind. Check out the show notes. So yeah, it'll blow your mind. Number eight, Betsy Gomez. She lives in Texas. She's a member of First Baptist Church in Irving, Texas. Her husband, Moises, is on staff there at First Baptist Irving. And I met her when she they were here at Southeastern and have continued to stay in touch with her. She sort of came on the scene as far as SBC involvement when she was appointed as chairperson of the 2019 Credentials Committee. Now, this this was before it became the standing committee it is now. So it's what we would know now as the registration committee. But she was the chair of that and really did a great job. She's got just incredible leadership gifts and is a wonderful writer and speaker. If you have a She Reads Truth Bible, she wrote one of the devotionals in that. You have to look in the back to see the page number of that. But she has done a lot through the years for Nancy Lee DeMoss's ministry, Revive Our Hearts, which is a, a a large uh, women's ministry and Betsy has handled the sort of Spanish side of that. And so what's always interesting is she would just be here when they were at Southeastern. You just see her around campus, you know, no big deal. She's just working on classes. She was, was part-time student and, uh, um, they had small kids in the home and homeschooling and, and doing things like that, but then was taking some classes. And so then you would find out that she had been in some other part of the world speaking at a Revive Our Hearts event for like 4,000 people or, or whatever. Wow. Um, and then she's just back and, did, you know, doesn't say a word you don't even know. So she's an incredibly talented person and, and a, a, a great friend, but someone that Southern Baptists may not be um, as aware of. So I wanted to, to mention Betsy Gomez because... Because I think she's a fascinating person. So, all right, number nine is a, a name I bet a lot of people don't know. I do because I'm a huge fan. Ben Shive. Ben Shive is one of the most talented music producers in Nashville. Uh, does a lot of sort of singer songwriter um, folk music. Really, really incredible. We've talked a lot on the show about Behold the Lamb of God. He's uh, sort of an integral part. I would say so. I mean, he's the producer of that thing. I mean, he, he right. makes it happen. He's, yes, he's, he has done a ton. Um, but he is at Grace Community Church there in Brentwood. Um, I believe he's an elder there and maybe even worship leader. They're really involved. And so I'm going to guess a lot of people ha- either haven't heard of Ben Shive or they have, but didn't know he was part of, of a Southern Baptist church. And so I wanted to put him on there because I think he's fascinating because I'm just blown away by his talent. I, when I come there and I go to the Rabbit Rooms Conference Hutch Mood, I've gotten to sit in a few of his sessions and really appreciate sort of the knowledge he has to share, what he has to say. And then I have heard from from mutual friends, people who are there at his church, that he is just an incredibly humble uh, person. And so I, at some point, I think when, maybe when I went to the concert at the Ryman or whatever, it hit me, uh, he's got to be on the list. So yes. there you go, number nine. Yes, huge fan. And he's also good friends of Joy Almond, who yes. is a Grace. lives yep. right around the corner from him. And, and Ben will come over and play ping pong with her husband. Just like, I'm Very like, cool. Joy, yes. you, you live the most strange life. Carlos Whitaker yeah. right across the street, Ben Shive playing ping pong in the basement. I mean. Yeah. And you know, she's just a couple of streets over from where I used to live too. That's the best neighborhood in Nashville. I miss it. Creve Hall, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's what she's talking about. And then finally, number 10, Art Tolston. Art Tolston had to be on this list. I love Art Tolston and I 
have so much respect for him. And this was the year of his retirement. We already sort of honored him on the show about that, but he had to be on this list to me because he has seen, he's had a front row seat to so much in the Southern Baptist Convention. And he is such a humble person that he's the type that could be walking around in the annual meeting and no one would even know that they're walking by someone who has kind of been a part um, of everything for decades and decades. Uh, and the stories he could tell and just, uh, I think, insight he he can give is pretty phenomenal. But the fact that he's just a godly, humble man means he doesn't walk around with, you know, like, look at me or, you know, in any kind of, uh, in any kind of way to draw attention to himself. He just sort of serves faithfully. So Baptist Press did a great story in August announcing his retirement and talking about, uh, about a lot of the things that he has done. He's written books. He's, uh, done a lot of work on meditation, scripture memory, things like that. Uh, so all in all, I, I couldn't leave him off because this was, was a big year for him. And so I wanted to honor him one more time. I think yep. Art is an incredibly fascinating person. Little piece of trivia. The last article that Art ever wrote for Baptist Press whenever he was employed at Baptist Press was Amy Whitfield is joining the executive committee. It was fun to get to work with him on that. Really cool little thing there. So, all right, Amy, I, I really appreciated nine of the 10 that you, you had there. So very good. Well done. Go Thank Trevor Lawrence. Ah, boy, boy. All right. Resource of the year for 2019 is... The Caring Well Challenge and Becoming a Church that Cares Well for the Abused Curriculum. So we, we talked about this top story of the year, and we mentioned the curriculum that was coming from the, the Sexual Abuse Advisory Group, and that is the Becoming a Church that Cares Well for the Abused Curriculum. So that that's something that we everybody got a copy of at the annual meeting. Uh, that's been a free thing that's been going on. CaringWell.com is the website for the Caring Well Challenge uh, that Dr. Greer challenged churches and entities and associations to, to take up and to really uh, jump into that. And it had eight steps, and I'll just run over those real quick, Amy. Number one is to commit to the Caring Well Challenge. Number two is to build a Caring Well team to lead your church's effort. Three is to launch it. Uh, in, well, it was August, uh, but you can launch it at any time, really. Number four is to train people. Uh, number five, to care, which basically means equip leaders through the curriculum that we mentioned to becoming a church that cares well for the abused curriculum. Uh, number six is to prepare. You want to enhance your policies, procedures, and practices related to abuse. Number seven, share. So you want to dedicate services on May the 3rd of 2020. We'll have to, to put a pin in that and remember that uh, for next May, Amy. Uh, but May the 3rd is kind of the Sunday that they're wanting everybody to really share about how uh, things have changed. And then number eight is to reflect on that at the annual meeting in June next year. So uh, th- those are the eight steps of the Caring Well Challenge. Uh, a lot of churches, we've, we've seen hundreds of churches already take the Caring Well Challenge and sign up for that and uh, the curriculum. So that's been something that was well received this year and really related to that top story of 2019. There you go. Is it time to put a pin in the year? Yes. It's time to, to crank up Auld Lang Syne. Except we're not going to. Except we're not going to because I don't want the ASCAP right. people just, at the door. Just imagine it. Yes. The executive committee. So I do have All a friend right. that works there. He might be able to get get us off the hook if anything happens. But we're not going to push it, Amy. So that's right. we'll see you next year. See you next year. Bye.